0: Morning everybody. I hope uh, your week has been okay and that uh, you're managing with the, the lockdown. I know it's strange, strange times we're living in and each day we get different updates but, but the important thing is that God is with us. He doesn't leave us, he doesn't desert us and he is there in every moment of every day. So let's, let's put that in our hearts, let's remember that and let's continue to keep connection with him through all that's going on. We're going to continue our series in Corinthians, going back to where we were a couple of weeks ago, Um, and we're looking at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5 this morning, and I'll read it to you. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In the weeks to come, we'll consider some of the practical issues that are discussed in these letters. But here, Paul is continuing to justify his ministry in the manner in which he preached the gospel to the Corinthian believers. You'll remember that there was much division and many factions in this church, and Paul is challenging this in all that he's saying. You'll also remember from a couple of weeks ago how Paul talked about the foolishness of the cross. You see, the cross makes no sense at all to the human intellectual mind that doesn't know God. Of course, in the, in the culture of today, it was very religious and very superstitious. They had a pantheon of gods who squabbled among themselves and who used human, humans, the gods used humans as tools to get their own way. So each person within the culture, within the society, needed to try and please the gods to get their favour or to avoid their wrath. And this included various uh, temple practices that we won't go into here. And overlaid upon this superstitious um, basis was the ideas of various philosophers who over the years had advocated various theories for the meaning of life. Primary amongst these were, of course, Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. But the two major influential schools of the day were the Stoics and the Epicureans. Stoics believed that God was in everything. And so the goal of human existence was, was continual moral enlightenment in order to become a well-formed, well-balanced, rounded person, attaining self-mastery and living in accordance with nature. In other words, through self-discipline, through controlling our emotions, we achieve peace and balance and equilibrium in life. On the other hand, the Epicureans believed that the gods were remote and disinterested in this world. They also believed that we have no immortal soul, and so our time on earth, they thought, should be spent on maximising pleasure, although they weren't immoral, uh, and avoiding pain. So why have I taken time to explain in brief these these old philosophies? Well, because they still underpin the way we live in the West. All around us are people who embrace the Epicurean model without knowing it. They reason that, that if there is a God, he's remote and distant from the world. Thus all we have in this life, and all our aim should be, is to get as much pleasure or happiness out of life as possible. Many people around us live like that. Alternatively, there are those who, by self-discipline and determination, try to live a good life. They have a vague belief that there's something out there, that there's a spiritual world perhaps, but they seek to live balanced, harmonious lives, not doing harm to many people or to anyone as far as possible. And we encounter such people every day, or at least we would do if we weren't in lockdown. And these people live out of a mixture of one or both of those philosophies. In many ways, nothing has changed from the world that Paul inhabited and was addressing with the Corinthians. Everyone, whether consciously or unconsciously, is striving for meaning in life. If we find meaning, this gives security and identity. One of the roots of anxiety and depression is meaninglessness. It's not surprising our society is riddled with mental health issues. True meaning can only be found in Christ. Without meaning, we bimble along from day to day, um, not quite knowing where we're going. As Henry David Thoreau said, most men live, live lives of quiet desperation. Paul affirms that when he was with the Corinthians, he wasn't trying to argue for an alternative philosophy. He wasn't using classical rhetoric. He wasn't trying to position himself as intellectually superior to all the other philosophers in the city in order to establish an alternative philosophical school. Rather, he was just there trying to teach them the truth about who God is and the fact that God wants a relationship with them and with us. He resolved him in himself that he was not going to go down the line of such philosophical arguments, but was simply just going to stick to the core message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this message was so different from the philosophies and religions of the Corinthian world. That world was full of heroes and brave deeds. And instead, the message he brought was of a prophet in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire who was executed in the most brutal manner, but who turned out to be the Son of God and was raised from the dead, and whose death and resurrection changed the world. How this message must have cut across all the intellectualism of the Corinthian world. It was foolishness to them, and it still is. It's like if we were to, to say the same message today, we would talk about someone being hanged or given a lethal injection, who turned out to be the saviour of the world. It wouldn't make any sense, and yet it's the truth. The death and resurrection of Jesus changed the world forever. Those events undid all that was wrong with the world from the beginning and gave humanity a route to being reconnected with God, with their destiny and with eternity. You see, Christianity is more than just a different way of living, although it is that. It's more than a philosophy for bringing life, peace and contentment. Although it is that. It's more than a set of rituals to help us feel close to God. It's a life-changing, spirit-healing, life-transforming, sin-overcoming, guilt-freeing, shame-reducing, wholeness-bringing, hope-restoring, powerful work of the love and grace of God. It takes the broken image in which we were made and restores it to the image of God. It takes broken lives and puts them back together. The cross and resurrection of Jesus is the good news. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, as Paul says in Romans 1.16. The power of the gospel cuts through all the philosophies, all the thinking of modern, modern life and modern people, and it brings us back into the reality of who God is and all that he's done for us. And so Paul says, when he was in the, with the Corinthians... He came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. If we look back at the book of Acts and chapter 18, we see Paul's arrival in Corinth follows on immediately from his time in Athens. There we know Paul stood before the Areopagus to explain his philosophy with mixed results. Once I stood on the Areopagus and and it was such an experience of standing where Paul stood. But I think we can easily miss the detail of this account. The Areopagus in Athens was both the place where the philosophers gathered to discuss the latest ideas, but it was also a place where people were put on trial. And so effectively, and this is what we can miss, Paul was put on trial in Athens, accused of bringing strange teachings into the city. And he was cross-examined by some of the greatest intellects of the day, many of whom, in the end, simply laughed at him when he mentioned the resurrection. He must have left Athens feeling very wounded and downbeaten from the experience. Is it any wonder that when he arrives in Corinth he was in weakness, fear and much trembling? It would be the equivalent of one of us being put in front of a board of Oxbridge intellectual philosophers and being asked to justify our faith. Suffice to say, even the cleverest of us would receive a mauling and would come away wounded. As a result of this experience, Paul decided to take a different approach with the Corinthians. Instead of taking people on intellectually, Paul decided to keep the main thing the main thing. To talk about the cross, but to do so in terms of its power to transform. He, said he, didn't, he says he didn't simply try and use persuasive words to reason people into the kingdom. Instead, he wanted people to understand that the gospel is not just another, another philosophy, but has power to change lives, as we've already said. The narrative of Acts doesn't give much detail about this. It tells us that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, Sabbath until he was kicked out. He then set up a separate house church next to the synagogue. We're told that he actually spent 18 months in the city and that he received a revelation of God, that God had many people in the city. In other words, God wanted to establish a strong and vibrant church there. But the narrative is silent regarding the demonstration of the spirit and of power. We can only speculate as to what that actually meant in reality when Paul was in Corinth. Certainly Paul's ministry elsewhere, we know from Acts, included dispelling demons, healing those who were sick. And we also know that whenever anyone came to faith, he laid hands on them to receive the Spirit. And this was evidenced with speaking in tongues and prophecy. Later on, of course, in this book, we find that there was no shortage of spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. The problem was using them appropriately. The demonstration of the Spirit's power was crucial to the preaching of the Gospel in Corinth. It still is. If the gospel is really the gospel, it will change lives, whether that be through healing, deliverance, prophecy, or simply by the power of the forgiveness and the presence of God. Our God loves us. He's not just interested in preparing a people for heaven. He wants to transform and heal our lives in a measure now. The good news of Jesus Christ includes healing for the body, the soul and the spirit. We're healed in our spirit through the power of the cross and the resurrection, as that which is dead is made alive again and put in connection with the spirit of God. We're healed in our soul as the hurts of the past are transformed by the spirit and by the truth of the word of God. And just as the good Samaritan poured oil and wine into the wounds of the man who had been injured by thieves and robbers on the pathway to Jericho, so the Holy God, by the Holy Spirit, pours the oil and wine of his spirit into our past hurts and brings healing as we open them up to him. We're healed in our bodies through the power of the cross. We know in Isaiah 53, by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. I'm not promising 100% healing for our bodies here. That will only come on the other side when God raises us up again. But I do believe that God wants to bring far more physical healing amongst us than we've seen to date. As we begin to trust God as a church in this area, I think we'll see more and more breakthroughs. And I don't want to raise any false expectations here, nor avoid the difficult questions concerning when people are not healed. However, I do believe in a God who has the power to heal every dimension of our lives. And may we see more of his healing power poured out amongst us, just as the early church did. However, having said all of that, the greatest demonstration of the power of God is seeing people come to faith in him. And as I've already said, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ have the power to transform lives. And it's in that power that we trust for our salvation. And that's why Paul concludes this short passage by saying and affirming that he preached in this way, so that your faith would not rest on wisdom, but on the power of God. Just as I come to the conclusion, I want to give a couple of testimonies to illustrate this. On one of my trips to India, I stood in a car park after a meeting. And as I was standing there waiting for my lift, a couple came up to me with a boy in their, their arms who was, It had a fever and was really unwell. And they were worried because, obviously, medical costs are high in India. You have Everything has to be paid for. It's not unusual for for people to to come and ask me to to pray for healing when I'm there. In fact, I do do it quite a lot. What is unusual is that I ever get to hear the outcome. For most people, I pray and then go away and never really know know what, what the result is. But on a subsequent trip to India the same couple came up to me and testified that the moment I prayed, God um, re- dealt with the fever and the boy was healed. And that's one specific example of when God answered a prayer for healing. And I could give many more. I don't believe I have a specific gift of healing, but the word of God says in James 5:16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I believe we can all pray for one another, and we can all see the power of God working through us to bring healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Same with salvation. I don't have the gift of evangelist, but I do believe that God will use me and each one of us to bring salvation to others. Many years ago, I was leading a group of teenagers on mission around East Anglia, and we were in Cromer, the band played a set and some of the group performed a skit and somebody else preached. And I was, went to the back just to observe all that was going on and to watch, leaving the work up to them. And as the, the, the preach came towards an end, the end, a man standing next to me turned to me and he said, Are you with this lot? I said, Yeah, yeah, I am. He replied, How do I become a Christian then? At which point I was able to lead him to Jesus. And I believe that God has divine moments for us. We just need to be aware and alert and take the opportunity when it comes. The Holy Spirit will open up the opportunity. We don't need the gift of evangelists. We're called to um, uh, to, to be witnesses to what God has done in our lives. And as we witness and as we take the opportunities that God raises, I believe we will see people, more people come to faith. And if you're listening to this today and you're not in that place of faith, just contact us afterwards, and and we will help you come to that place of faith. Finally, I believe Jesus wants to bring each one of us into freedom, whether that's from demonic powers or past hurts. And I could give many testimonies here, but I just want to reiterate that the power of the cross is poured out to bring us into the freedom that is part of our being, part, part of the being, the children of God. And if you want freedom from anything in your life, whether that be addiction or of the past or anything else that, that exercises a hold over you just give it to god as i pray for you now also ask the prayer team afterwards we've given the number already ask them um, after the meeting for specific prayer if you want further prayer so i'm going to pray and then i'm going to hand back to natalie to lead us in the song father i pray that that whatever our problem, whatever our addiction, whatever our past hurt, whatever Lord God is holding us from becoming all that we're called to be, that Lord God this day we might hand it to you and receive Lord God into our hearts the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we need salvation Lord God let your salvation come to us and let your power Lord God transform us that that might become the basis of our lives and the destiny that we are fulfilling. i Pray your blessing, Lord, on each and every person who's listening, who's watching this morning. And may, Lord God, your power transform each one of us to be all that we're called to be. Thank you, Jesus. Just just before we hand over hand back, let's take the bread and the wine. This symbolizes what God has done for us in the cross. It symbolises the broken body of the Lord that was broken to bring our healing. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, broken for you. And his blood was shed, his blood was poured out to give us, to be a ransom for us, to set us free from slavery, to set us us free from all that held us. And this is the new covenant sealed in his blood. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood shed for us. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the healing power that comes to us in every dimension of our lives through the cross. We give you praise and glory. Amen.